The content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan, and we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. It really does matter. And today we're going to talk about things that matter, but also matters of behavior that can be quite confusing or um, challenging for us. Anyway, as I tell this story, if I've worked with you in the past and you're listening, you may say, I know exactly who she's talking about. (laughs) But the truth is, this is a culmination of children. We've talked before about when a behavior a challenging or maladaptive behavior serves more than one function. We've talked about that in the past. Yeah. Um, we've also talked about the difficulty of working with a child who has multiple behaviors. Um, but that I would multiple say, functions, right? Yeah, multiple behaviors that serve multiple functions. And that's what I would like to get into today because I would say that we are seeing an increase in everything behaviorally. Um, since uh, COVID and that, you know, that's not anybody's fault other than life is not consistent. And we know that particularly for kids on the spectrum, consistency of strategies is very important. It's really important to all of us, you know. Sure. And I think the other piece is that predictability piece, you know, understanding what my day is going to look like and during COVID. And I think in still a lot of places, they don't have that level of predictability still. You know, teachers are out, parents are out, kids are out. And so they come to school each morning and don't know, you know, what it's going to look like. And I think the lack of consistency and predictability make it so difficult for our kids, uh, particularly those on the spectrum, like you said. Yeah. And then even outside of school that you might not be seeing the consistent people you see at the grocery store or people who are at the grocery store wearing masks and you're not sure who that person is and you're not able to read their facial expressions and know whether they're happy or not happy with you. I mean, there's a whole lot that contributes to um, this rise in challenging behaviors or maladaptive behaviors that we've been seeing. So I'm going to talk about, let's say Pete. I'm going to talk about Pete has many behaviors. He will spit. He will scratch. He will hit. He will kick. He will run away. He will strip his clothes off. All of these things are difficult, challenging. He sounds a lot like my friend. I think it was Timothy that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. He didn't scratch and kick as much as yours does. But yeah, these kids that just have really complicated behavioral repertoires Yeah, and we clearly saw that he might engage in any of those behaviors to say, I don't want to do this activity. (laughs) I mean, when a kid runs away, you can pretty much say, oh, I think he's trying to escape something, right? You definitely know he's trying to get away from something. But he might also spit or scratch or grab or, you know, pull hair, strip his clothes off to say, I don't want to do that. But he also might do that to say, I would like a different activity. I want the computer or I want my train or I want whatever the thing that he wants, even though obviously it's not in words or clear, but he is using his behavior to make a request to a degree because somewhere along the way, the behaviors occurred and the train appeared. Right. And and it happened a couple of times. And now he has thought, oh, this is how I asked for the train. Great. Right. But I also can engage in these behaviors and I get the attention that I want or I get out of the demand that I didn't want to 
follow through with or it kind of feels good to grab people in certain places on their body. You know, we've got kids who grab us under our that fleshy part under our arms yes, or yes, our elbows or yeah, yeah, other places. Fleshy part of your elbows or other places. Yes. Um, or even um, I have had a few children who would ramp their behavior up until they end up having to be physically restrained. They're hurting uh-huh. themselves or others. You've tried all your de-escalation techniques. Nothing is working. And you sort of figured out that it's really about the pressure of the hold. Mm-hmm. They're, that they're getting a level of sensory input that they want. Sure. They don't know another way. And we see this most often with children who are not able to talk. Their verbal right. skills have not gotten to that place. Or even if they have sign language, their sign language may be quite idiosyncratic. And by that, we mean that it is specific to them. Mom and dad and, and a few teachers know that means I'm hungry. That means I need to go to the bathroom. You know, It's right. not a standard kind of sign, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with idiosyncratic signs. We just have to make a book for people <laughs> that are going to be with them so they understand what the idiosyncratic sign means and and begin to try to shape it. And maybe they even have a device to talk with us, you know, an iPad that has a special program on it that will say the words they want, but it's hard (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's not quick. And uh, I used it and I made it talk, but the teacher across the room didn't hear it. And so she didn't respond so I'm going to throw the iPad. Yeah. Until I, yeah, absolutely. Or on the kid next to me. So maybe, you know, she'll get over there and, and have a look at what's going on. And even, you know, even some children who are able to talk, don't even have autism, will sometimes rely on those behaviors because their words haven't worked or their behavior has worked quicker. You know? I was with a little guy last week and he had a feeding tube, but he did not being tube fed anymore. I don't know why the mom hasn't had it removed or whatever. He was a kindergartner and he had engaged in these behaviors that were just off the chain. And I think, you know, again, I'm not licensed to render a diagnosis, but I think this was a little guy who just had a really severe case of ADHD, you know, just was doing anything. And he'd look right out of the adult and throw his shoes, or he'd look right at the adult and slam a table or throw a table over, look right at the adult and slam the door. And I finally just grabbed him. And I, you know, I just was, I didn't restrain him, but I just kind of put my arms around him and his heart was just beating a mile a minute. And I started just saying, okay, going to calm down, you know, my whole little thing about smelling the flowers, blowing out the birthday candles. And he did eventually calm down and, 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 but, you know, he just ramped right back up again. And, you know, it was really clear that the behavior was driven by attention, but there was also another piece to it that was driven by escape because he would run out of the classroom and not look for attention. You know, it was just, he was really complicated. And it was in a classroom where the teacher was trying really hard to work with the kids and this chaos is going on and it was just out of control. And then it would set another kid off and the other kid was doing behaviors for attention because he was getting all the attention or he would engage in behaviors to escape the demand by throwing his work on the floor. And it was like, you know, the most chaotic classroom and there was no one strategy that we could offer to say, okay, do this when he does this, because he does this and this one's going off and then this one's going off. And it was a class that the poor teacher had kinder through fifth grade. So it was just, you know, every kind of need and golly, it was, it was tough. It was a really tough class. And that little guy was just at the beginning, it was so attention driven, but then he would do things like 
scream and hit, you know, if we just said, let's put your shoe back on or, you know, it was just, it was a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, that's that whole idea of, I can see some of the function, but there's some function I might be missing here. Um, and, you know, how am I going to get to that? And I mean, it, it definitely can be difficult whether you're in a classroom or you're at home and you have more than one child at home, those behaviors can be scary when you're worried about whether he's going to, or she, you know, Pete might scratch and leave marks. And, you know, as a family, you worry that someone's going to call CPS because your other child is going to school with these marks and you're doing absolutely everything you know to do to help protect everybody and the same thing with teachers and we see this over and over again in classrooms where there is a child who has these behaviors that we you know we we've got we might have a guess about the functions but we're missing it because the behaviors continue something's not meshing and those teachers are on high alert all day long because they feel the need to help this child with their challenging behaviors but also protect the other children that's right and the any any visitor in their classroom from being injured. So, you know, here we are with Pete. You know, I don't want him spitting, but where is he spitting? You know, is he only spitting on the floor, you know, you know, on items, you know, is it not in people's faces? And don't you think, Sissy, for a kid like that, that has that really complicated repertoire, behavioral repertoire that you have to really sit down with the staff and really prioritize, like, I don't like him hitting or kicking or pinching or, you know, any of that, but it's COVID. And so let's really hit on spitting and probably the running away because that's a safety issue and just kind of put the other behaviors on the back burner until we can get these two priorities under control. Well, yeah. Yeah. For one thing too, I definitely would want to be able to find a a way of taking data that I can see when the behaviors are occurring. And that's pretty tough when you have multiple behaviors. And, you know, I I think we've talked about it before, you know, we'll make a grid of times down the left and days across the top and code the behaviors, one, two, three, four, or five. If he scratches from eight to eight, 15, I just write the number related to scratching. I don't, I don't have to tally that he did it seven times. I know scratching happened in that. Yeah. I remember you made a multiple behavior interval data sheet and I still to this day use that all the time. Well, I think that a family made it and shared it with me. Well, All the things yeah. come from mothers and dads who have to invent stuff because they're dealing with it. Yeah, it, it works out great to begin to see patterns. And that's really what we're looking for. You, you have to start with, let's, let's say this, you know, Pete is in a self-contained classroom with other children who are on the spectrum. Maybe there's all boys in that classroom. And Pete is a stripper. Yeah, but he's also, he strips his clothes when he's frustrated. But the spitting, you know, yes, COVID is happening in our school. And now all of a sudden spitting has become a higher priority than stripping because I can keep him in that classroom and keep him safe and, and not have his dignity lost over the stripping while we're trying to figure this out. But if Pete were in gen ed, I might have to start with stripping <laughs> because right. You know, I, I I can't have his dignity robbed from him that easily. I mean, I, obviously, if you've got a gen ed kid or a child who's going into general education who is stripping, you're definitely, I mean, it's so hard to say. Let's say biting is 
breaking skin and people are having to go to urgent care. Well, right. The biting becomes the priority, right? You have to look at the intensity. I found myself last week in a couple of classrooms where the behaviors were complicated, like, like Pete, you know, they did all these kinds of things, but we also had to look at the intensity of the incident. So like, let's say an incident was kicking, screaming, hitting, biting, right? That might be a level one, whereas Mm -hmm. kicking, screaming, hitting, biting, stripping, and spitting might be level two. And then kicking, hitting, spitting, biting, leaving the area and stripping might be a level three, you know, I just started recommending like scatter plots just to, you know, do a line or half a try or half a square or the whole square, just because it's so hard to take data on all of those behaviors, you know, like anything more than three to five, I think is virtually impossible for a teacher, you know? Yeah, it is too much. And then you also are thinking about how am I going to help Pete. And one of the things that we did was we definitely created a card. And I, this is similar to a student we've talked about in the past to say, I want a break. And Pete had, you know, a, and his work area was large enough for him to be able to step away from his desk and not have any demand put on him. If he handed that card, we immediately backed up. We also came up with a picture for him to be able to say, play with me. You know, and then we would join him. Another picture to say squeeze is, you know, and we would I love that using the, you know, help from the occupational therapist to understand what is it, what's right for, for Pete right. to, to provide for his um, eyes and weight and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the trick is there's a lot of different functions yeah, <laughs> and, and a, a lot of different behaviors, but for Pete, he was in that self-contained classroom. Stripping's not something we want to see, but it was on the back burner. The spitting, the biting, those were top priority. Right. But, right. In, but in working on asking for a break and working on asking for specific toys that he liked, that helped him not have to rely on his behavior to tell us those things. Yeah, um, and, and we saw things moving in the right direction, but I know that whew, it... it it can be so frustrating to um, from the teacher's perspective or the family's perspective to say, what are we, what are we doing here? And, and how are we right. helping Pete? Right. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, Sissy, but I'm walking into classrooms seeing multiple Pete's, you know, yes. lots yeah. of Pete's. And so, and it's, it's hard, like, you know, you give your attention to this Pete and then this Peter goes off because he wants yeah. the attention. It's just teachers are, it's just, oh God, I feel like we say this every podcast, but it's just been a really tough school year for teachers. And I hope they, if we have teachers listening, which I hope we do, I hope they understand that we get it. We empathize with you. And I mean, I couldn't do it every day, all day. Yeah, I'm so thankful that there are teachers who do get up every day, go into school and with a smile uh, on their face. Yeah, yeah. With a true belief that they're going to make a difference. If you have a student, well, there's two things. Let's come back to the idea of precursor because sometimes those stack on themselves, kind of like what you were talking about. You know, that I might mark the scatter plot if I see these three behaviors or these four behaviors. Yeah, right, right. But there are times that we will see a sequence of behaviors consistently. Like he will grab at you, then he will scratch you, right. then he will try to bite you. Then you know, and then you the know, table flips, right? Yes, exactly. So you you know, if I can get in there early at grabbing at me, right. then I maybe prevent 
all those other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so, and precursor behaviors are, are really, I mean, I think we've said this before, but if you have a kid who has precursor behaviors, you count yourself lucky, you know, I yeah. mean, you know what I'm saying? Because that's the time to say, Oh, let's take a break or Oh, let's go get a drink of water. or Oh, come help me. You know? Yeah. The behavior game is tough. And I think that's why we wanted to do this podcast in the very beginning to talk about, you know, we can make it sound super easy with, Oh, there's only four functions of behavior. But um, <laughs> when you've got these tough kids with complicated repertoires, it becomes not such an easy game and you've got to really have to be on your game. And, and like you said, we have classrooms where there's more than one peak. There are mm-hmm. several people in the classroom and there are dedicated teachers, educators who are stepping up and, and helping kids uh, move in the right direction. And, and I think we've said this before too, we see the supply chain is so easy to see as a physical representation of what is happening because of COVID. That is a physical piece. Children are not, they're physical, but the, their behaviors are not that easy to look at and and figure out. So when we see the supply chain coming back and getting all back in order, we'll know that maybe life is going to get consistent enough that we're going to really begin to see a change. I had a friend who just posted something like some very specific candy, you know, odd kind of candy that he had found and, and implying that maybe the supply chain is getting back in order. And I thought, I hope so. I, yeah, I think, I think it, I think it's, it's on its way. Well, I, you know, I do think it's on its way. And I do think that we are hopeful that this latest Omicron is the one that's going to burn out. And then we're going to be able to get life more consistent. And that's critical for students with disabilities, really for children in general, but for our sweethearts that have behaviors to communicate with us. So Sissy, if I could just say one more thing before we get to the question, you know, please don't assume that the kid is being bad to be bad. Right. And we talk about this all the time, that behavior is communication and communication is behavior and they're not being bad just to be bad. Now that little guy that I described earlier, you know, he was being bad because I shouldn't say being bad, but he was (laughs) engaging in inappropriate behaviors because he really could not control his body, you know, he was getting so amped up and his heart was beating so fast and he could not stop, you know, until someone just grabbed him and said, okay, stop. We're going to look at me, stop, listen, you know, and because he was like a little um, roadrunner, he was just getting so wound up, you know, but, um, but kids are communicating with us with their behavior. And it's our job as parents, as parents listening and as educators to really play a detective and try to figure it out. What it is they're trying to tell us. I always tell teachers, you know, don't assume that he's being bad just to be bad. He's being bad. He's engaging in appropriate behaviors because there's a sensory intrusion or something hurts or they're not getting the attention they need or they're not getting the toy they need. It's it's all about function, not about the behavior. Yeah. I mean, you know, we use this analogy all the time about let's say that you somehow were dropped in a foreign country where you don't speak the language and there's no one around who speaks your language and there you don't understand the cultural norms. And then somebody just starts directing to a building and starts like, you know, reprimanding you over behavior that you don't even know. Why, why is he reprimanding me? What is it that they expect of me? There are people who would sit in the corner and do nothing because they don't know what else to do. And they would allow themselves to be you know, motored through whatever the demand was. And there are people who would maybe try to gesture and, and, and make their needs known that way. I'm hungry. I need to go to the bathroom, whatever it is. 
their gestures, but maybe they they still don't understand you. And, you know, then what's going to happen? Am I going to try to draw? What if they don't understand that? Am I eventually going to get to the place where I'm trying to run away? Probably. Right. right. And if they if, don't let me out, am I going to maybe scratch and hit and kick and spit and do whatever it is to make right. these people understand this is not for me? <laughs> well, know? and if you're a neurotypical learner, you're probably going to sit in the corner and watch and try to understand the cultures and the behaviors of the other people so that you can engage in the same kinds of behaviors to get the things that you need. And that's what neurotypical people do. And that's how we learn. But if you're neurodiverse and you're on the autism spectrum, that's not how you learn. You don't learn through observation and you don't learn vicariously. And so the kid with autism is probably going to sit in the corner and engage in inappropriate behaviors because they're not going to learn from watching other people. So anyway. So, you you know, the behavior is trying to tell you something. And when you find a way that is easier and faster than the behavior, they will use those other ways, whether it's words or pictures or a device or signs, whatever it is. We do have a question. So today, you and I talked about multiple behaviors that serve multiple functions. When faced with these, where should you start? A, start where the data is clearest for a specific behavior and a specific function. B, start with the aspect that is most important to the family. C, Start with a behavior that is most limiting to the person's access to the larger community. D, start where it seems the easiest success would be. Or E, depending on the situation, all of these could be important. It's a good question. Golly. So A, you would start where the data is clearest for a specific behavior and a specific function. Yes, because then you can hit that one pretty quick. I know he's asking for a break. We give him a break card. We teach him how to sign break. We teach him how to say break. And we get that behavior under control. We definitely want to include the family in our planning and determining what their priorities are. Yeah, Um, let's say the family is very, very important. There's a family trip to Disney coming up. And they're extremely concerned about their child being able to get through security at the airport or being able to ride on the plane. You know, that's not necessarily important to me as a teacher because we're not going through security. We're not going 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 to Disneyland. Right. (laughs) But I care very much that this child be able to go to a family reunion, be with family. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, learning how to get through security, learning how to ride an airplane. Yeah, I'm I'm there. We're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And then starting with the behavior that's most limiting to the person's access to the larger community. And I think I've talked about this young man before, but have I talked about the kid who was label diving and diving after girls labels in their pants and we had to self-contain him all day because um, and that worked, you know, that stopped the problem. But the parents were really a big part of their community. They went to church, they went out to eat, they went to grocery store with this young man. And it was a behavior that's kind of surfaced. And at first, you know, we just self-contained him to stop the behavior, but then we had to start shaping it out. And we had to, you know, we ended up giving him, and I have forgive me if I've told this story, but we gave him a, a shopping cart that was weighted down with like hundreds of pounds of sand. And we would walk out in the hall and we would walk. And as long as he had his hands on the cart, and was not getting away from the cart. He was getting um, music as a reinforcer. As soon as his hand came off the cart, his music stopped. And it was a lot of work, but it was worth the work because it was important to the family, but it was also preventing him access to the community, which is an important thing for our our learners. Yeah, if if we've had a child who, even even within the school community, if they've been going to recess with their peers and 
PE music. They are waiting for the car for parents. You know, they're out there. They're going to some academics. And all of a sudden, they have to stay in a self-contained classroom. That's, that's a big deal. And I would say about the pushing the heavy cart, keeping his hands on the heavy cart is a differential reinforcement of incompatible behavior. Absolutely. He he can't be grabbing tags if he's pushing the cart. Love the incompatible behaviors when we can find them. I do too. Starting where it seems the easiest success would be. I mean, that sounds like a kind of almost a cop out, but it kind of goes back up to a, where you look at the clearest behavior and specific function. And so you know, I may not frame it like that, but I think that that can also be important. So for me, the answer is E, depending on the situation, all of these could be important. Yeah, this is not a question that you would see on the exam. It is um, entirely too uh, subjective <laughs> to have been, I mean, but it's an important thing to think about because as a teacher, what might be hugely important to me might not be something that's all that important to the family. And quite honestly, what's important to me not might not be as impactful as what's important. And, you know, we, I'm laughing because I remember somebody said something to me a while back and they said, well, I don't think that's, that's the priority. And it was, it was something that the parents really wanted. And, and I can see the teacher's perspective. And I said, okay, but it's not about you because it's about, you know, this kid's quality of life and for this family that his quality of life is going to be impacted if he can't do dot, 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 you know, people have called me direct and and that was one of my days. It was probably a Friday (laughs) when I had no filter and I was being a bit direct with that person, but um, But it's not about us. It is not. not. That's the beauty of working with, well, working with children in general, working with public in general, it's not about you. It really is about for kids on this with disabilities. It is about them. It is about making the world work for them, you know, however we have to do that. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Well, that was a great story, Sissy. Thank you for that. And thank you for talking to us about Pete. Listeners, we appreciate you being here for our 53rd episode. And if you have a minute, please rate or review us on the podcast app that you're using. We hope you have a great weekend and we look forward to a really, really moving tribute next week with uh, a repeat guest, Dr. Mary Lasseter. So again, thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Yes. And also, if you just want to go to uh, Buzzsprout is who hosts us. So if you want to go there, if you if you if you can't find a way to uh, rate us or whatever, where where you're listening, that Buzzsprout is who hosts us. So B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Bye.